participants as well, but welcome. As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, please now I pray, uh, guide us, direct us, lead us um, to your glory, that we might uh, know your wisdom and live in it and by it. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to James in chapter 3, please. James chapter 3. I want to read verses 13 through 18. James uh, chapter 3, please. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I'm captivated, as I trust you are as well, by all of Scripture, but certainly by this first question that he raises, James does in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you. It's a good question, and it's a good question for a community of people to answer. Um, When one needs counsel, where does one go? Who has wisdom? Amongst us in our fellowship here at Grace, who is wise uh, among us? An important thing to know, James, you remember, started out this particular chapter, at least as we have it marked out as chapter three, uh, as asking uh, a question concerning teachers who should really teach, right? Should really teach, knowing that teachers will be Subjected to a stricter standard because they use their mouths in such a way as to speak that which is true. And so presumably it's these teachers who should be the wise ones among us. But not only that, we get a sense as we do as we're reading this letter that James is speaking to all of us that there's a sense in which we all are to be wise. For instance, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians and, and chapter 1 uh, praise this. I prayed it for us this morning in our prayer of what we call a prayer of invocation. Uh, in verse 16 of Ephesians 1, Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. In other words, this wisdom comes from knowing God. And this wisdom is, Paul prays, for everyone. That we're to know God and thus have this wisdom. In fact, later on in this letter of Ephesians in chapter 5 verse 15, he writes this to them. He says, look carefully then how you walk or live, not as unwise, but as wise. See, we're to live wisely, live as those who know God. We're to live wisely. In fact, there's one book of the scripture, Proverbs, that's given to us to speak to us about wisdom and to to teach us 
that we are to be wise and, and what that means. Very bluntly, Solomon puts it like this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. He writes, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> that's, that's where you need to know this. You need to get wisdom. You need uh, to be wise. And then he puts, and whatever you get, get insight. And then he goes on to say, prize her highly that is this wisdom this insight so we're to get it we're to we're to really really have it and so we're to seek it chapter 2 in proverbs verse 1 uh puts it like this my son if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding yes if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding if you seek it like silver and search for it as for, as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. So we're to get wisdom, we're to, to, to have this wisdom which is the knowledge of God, and we are particularly to live by it. So you get the, you get the sense that James is saying to us, all right, who, who's wise among you? That is to say, how would you know? How would you know if you are wise? How would you know that? And that's been kind of his MO the whole way. You know, he's been talking to us about what it really means to be a people, a person of faith. Remember, he kind of outlines what he calls true religion in chapter 1 and verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, he's essentially saying, if you really are a person of faith, then, then you'll show it. It'll be seen. It'll be seen. It'll be seen by how you speak. It'll be seen by how you think of and care for others, especially those in need. And how you live your life. Is it stained by the world? Or is it unstained by the world? And we've been following him. Oh, walk us through. He says, he says all right, if you hold this faith, chapter 2, verse 1, then, then here's how you'll understand and value people. You won't value them by what you see, but you'll value them by what's really important. And so you'll be compassionate to the one who is poor and not cast them off to the side. And you won't overly value the one who is rich simply because that one is rich, you see. But rather you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, well, let me summarize it like this. If, if you say you have faith but it's not seen, then can that faith really save you? Is that really saving faith? And, and he says, really it isn't. Because... When we say we believe, and we believe the right things, as he's assuming of those to whom he writes, he says, but, but, but now you see, to, to, to believe means that, that there's something happening in you, that you've received new life by the Spirit of God, and so you're to live this life out. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, of course. In fact, one of the marks is your humility, and you'll pray for to be forgiven your sins, and to to receive the, the, the Spirit in such a way that you can live this out, you see. Uh, but uh, you need to show it. 
So you can have assurance. That's the way it was with Abraham. He believed and he showed it. That's the way it was with Rahab. She believed and she showed it. And it's true for us as well. And then, of course, chapter 3, he gets into the real touchy stuff. And he says, all of this should be reflected in how you speak. After I preached last Sunday, I was thinking, this might be the quietest lunch anybody's ever had. Right? What should I say now after that? Uh, uh, fortunately, I had lunch with Bev Holmesgog. Some of you know her. And so I just let her talk. Because I figured we'd be safe with Bev talking. And we were. But, uh, but we get that. We understand that. And we're saddened I am when I speak in such a way that doesn't reflect the work that Christ has done. And now today he speaks to us again about how we're to live and now he brings up this point of wisdom. Now we've spoken of wisdom before. You remember in chapter 1 and verse 5 we have it like this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. We've, we've, we've walked through those, those, those thoughts and we'll come back to them as we need, but, but, but he's spoken about wisdom before. And remember, we talked about wisdom and we said wisdom isn't the same thing as simply being smart. Hopefully being smart doesn't detract from wisdom. Perhaps sometimes it does, but it needn't. It isn't about having a high intellect or a high IQ. Wisdom really is about the life that one lives. Some have defined wisdom, as we said, as the art of living successfully. Well, the, the key about wisdom is to know it's success and to put your mind and heart towards that. That's being really uh, wise. Um, we see uh, J.I. Packer, a theologian that I quoted back when we worked our way through James 1, puts it like this. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Again, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of, of attaining it. That's the sense of the wise person knows the best goal and then also knows the best way, if you will, to get there. That's the point of, 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 of being wise. But we see that wisdom has this moral component always. What's best? What's best? How do we know what's best? Well, the wise person knows what's best, you see. Thus, Packer, in his defining, goes on like this. He says, wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral godliness. And that's James' point, isn't it? Well, we know wisdom by what we do. We know wisdom by how we act. How does the wise person live? That's the real question. In fact, Solomon says all of that all throughout the Proverbs, but this Proverbs chapter 2 that, that we began with. I, I began by the if statements. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Yes. Verse 3, if you call out for insight. Verse 4, if you seek it, that is wisdom, like silver, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and, and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. Then verse 9, 
then. You see, if you seek wisdom and have it from the Lord, then, he says, you'll understand righteousness and justice and and equity and every good path. Every good path, you see. Uh, That's it. He's going to lead us in paths of righteousness. And so as we're wise, you see, we, we know those paths upon which to walk. And then he says, For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over your understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. You see, one who's wise doesn't go the way of evil, <laughs> but the way of that which is good. Then verse 20, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. That's the sense of wisdom. It's, it's the practical life. It's the practical outpouring or outworking of this moral goodness. Now, as James now comes to us, let me give you just a bit of an outline and so you can follow where we're headed. Uh, first, we're going to consider a summary statement that he gives to us in verse the end of verse 13. And then he compares two wisdoms. Their source, their character and nature, and then finally the results that come from each. All right? So a summary statement and then a comparison of two wisdoms. Where they come from, their source, uh, what they look like, uh, their characteristics and nature, and then finally the results that come from them. And then it's left to us. Do we wish to be wise? And then how do we do that? How do we become people Individuals who are indeed wise. The summary statement, the end of verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So, so wisdom is shown by, uh, by our good conduct or by our good way of life. Now what's interesting here is that this word good doesn't simply mean moral goodness. It's, it's, it's the word good that says that it's, it's attractive, right? It's, 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 it's attractive, it's lovely, it's, it's, it's a beautiful life, if you will. It's, it's a life that others would look at and say, that's the life to live. It isn't the life that says, oh, that's the life because there's wealth or there's prestige or any of that, but just to look at the whole of a person's life. It's that, he says, you'll show wisdom by your good conduct, by your, by your good way of life, by this way of life that's, that's really attractive. There's a sense in which that's what God was giving, and I'll refer to this from time to time, this passage from Deuteronomy 4 that I read earlier. I know it was long, so let me just pick a piece out of it. Because this is what God was giving to his people. There's a sense in which God was saying, if you follow my wisdom, then your life will be lovely. Your life will be attractive. Yours will be the life that other people will say, that's the life. For instance, verse 6 in Deuteronomy 4. Uh, it says, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. The, the them there are his commandments, right? He's just, it's a summary, Deuteronomy, second law, the summary of, of, of the law. And so... I says, keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom those, and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who then will hear all these statutes and say, surely this, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
we to live our lives in such a way that eventually we know not in the short run we can know that now but in the, not in the short run necessarily but in the long run the world will say yes oh yes that that was it that was a wise and an understanding people sadly in the lives of some it comes too late after lives have been destroyed and they look back at the wisdom of God and hopefully look back at the people of God and say rats right that was the life I guess that was the life the life of faithfulness in marriage a life of love to one another the life of generosity and helping and caring each other that's really life and here I am at the end of mine some might say and I look at my life and it's a shambles that's the life I know you have people I trust that you look to and maybe there are people in history that you've read or maybe there, there are people that you know even now I mentioned our dear Bev Holmescock she's a, she's a woman that I look to and I go that's that's real living that, that her life she's not wealthy right she doesn't have all the trappings that the world will look at and say that's successful but you listen and you say that that's it isn't it and then some of you I won't name your names that I look to as people that I say that's that helps me you help me I see in you the wisdom of God in your life the way you live and I say that's it you see and, and that's what James is talking about here. He says this kind of wisdom is good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, the, the wise person is always meek. <laughs> and, and what does that mean? Well, in the days in which James wrote, uh, it wasn't an honorable thing to be called meek necessarily. It was considered to be weak or soft or, or someone who didn't have the, the, the guts that it took to really be successful in the course of life. But of course, for us, as we read through the scripture, meekness is a holy characteristic. We're to receive the word, James says previously in verse 21 of chapter 1, we're to receive with meekness the implanted word that is able to save our souls. We read about those in the scripture who are meek. The scripture says that Moses, think of Moses for a minute, and then put meek beside him. And Jesus, in the passage that I read from our gospel reading this morning as we were singing, uh, Jesus is said to be, he calls himself meek, you see. So, so, so it's a good thing if it said positively about Moses, and it's a good thing if it said about Jesus. So, what is this, this, this meekness? Well, this meekness is a sense of humility. Jesus humbled himself. Moses knew himself to be meek. And for us, how do we get there? Well, we've said this before, but I'll say it again: that, that meekness is a self-understanding that comes. In two ways, both of which are important to us. One, it comes as we understand ourselves as creatures. See, both of these come out of our understanding of who we are in the presence of God. First, we're creatures, we're not God. To think of being creatures makes us realize that if we're using an illustration between dog and master, we're the dog in this situation, all right? We're dependent, if you will. And so in our relationship with God that we're made in his image is still he's God and we're not. He's the creator. We're utterly dependent upon him. And, and, and so that, that should humble us, if you will. 
all of us together, right? Uh, when we're sitting in a room, that we might be able to, to look at each other and say there's distinctions between us and this one makes you better or you better relative to that or relative to this standard. But if God walked in, <laughs> if we could see him as he's really here, but if we could see him and us in his presence, uh, all of those differences among us would fade away. We'd see ourselves as a group of people created all in need of this holy God, you see. And the second thing is when we see ourselves in the presence of God, we see ourselves as sinners, right? I I use this often like last Sunday, we talked about Isaiah as he sees the Lord high and lifted up and what what happens to him, he sees his own sin. It was true of Peter when he saw the glory of Jesus, he saw his own sin. And, And so... We see ourselves as sinners, all of us together, needy of his grace to save us. So, so, so we see ourselves. So that's the sense of humility before God and then meekness before each other. As we live that out, this humility, I know that you know that I know that you know that the best I can do is hell. Right? How can I be arrogant, you see? Will put myself over over anyone when I've admitted that the best I can merit is the condemnation of God. That's true for you too. So 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 th- none of us are all that, as we say, right? And so this sense of meekness, this sense of humility. So wisdom, you see, requires meekness. That's why the proverb says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom starts, you see, when we give reverence to the Lord. The scripture doesn't say the fear of ourselves is the beginning of wisdom. If it said that, it would mean that we would revere ourselves, that we would look to ourselves for wisdom. But, 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 but that, that isn't the wisdom of God. And so the beginning of wisdom is this reverence, this respect uh, for God, you see. Um, for God, this wisdom. And the opposite of the wise person isn't the unintelligent person. The opposite of the wise person in the scripture is the fool. Because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says that, that I'm God, essentially. There is no God. There is no one who judges me. There is no one who's wiser than me. There is no God. So I can disregard him and I can go my own way. That's the fool. That's foolish. There, there are two uh, statements by Jesus, many, but, but two that always come to my mind when I think of the saddest expressions in the scripture. From the lips of Jesus. The one we can find in Luke. And uh, chapter 12 in verse 20. Jesus had just told a parable. He told a parable about a rich man. And this rich man thought that he was content. To build bigger barns. And, and, and store all of his stuff. And then he would have all that he would need. Uh, forever. And that was his peace. That was his contentment. That was his. How he understood success. That was his wisdom. If I only have enough. Of all of this stuff, 
then I'll be content to eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of my days. And, and, and that was his wisdom. But, but then Jesus said, verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, that's the antithesis of wisdom. Storing up things for yourself, going your own way, thinking this is right in my own eyes. And, and so that's, that's foolishness. That's being the fool, you see. And how sad. And I don't want to be there. I don't want you to be there. How sad it would be at the end of one's life, whenever that comes. To in those moments look back and say, oh, I missed it. I missed it. Thus the second sad statement from the lips of Jesus. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and yet lose his or her soul? You see? Again, to say, I thought gaining the whole world was success. I thought that was the right way to go, you see. And, and I did it. I've got it. I've got the whole world, you see. And, and now I look back and realize I have nothing, really. It was completely foolish. It was totally unwise to live that way. I've sold my family for my career. I've sold my kids church life for sports I've, 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 I've sold my uh, sexual satisfaction for pornography what, whatever it is you see whatever we think would be the right thing the, the right, no it isn't at all and then we've lost it all and that's the sadness you see and so James comes to us and he says I want you to be wise so very quickly now the end of this so we have the source of these two wisdoms and their um, um, characteristics and then their results notice verse 14 but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly unspiritual demonic for where there is jealousy and selfish am- for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder and every vile practice so we see of this wisdom Uh, The source of it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. uh, Just think of this as we go through, but for James, there's only two sources of wisdom. There aren't three or six. There's only two. Every bit of wisdom fits in one of these two categories. There aren't any others. So this first one isn't from above, meaning isn't from God, but is earthly bound to the best that those on earth can think up. It's unspiritual, which means it has no part with the Holy Spirit. When the Bible uses the expression unspiritual, it means not of the Holy Spirit. When it's because spirit, spiritual, it's of the Holy Spirit. I know in our day we use those terms rather loosely, uh, culturally, but, but when the Bible speaks of unspiritual, so it isn't sanctified, it doesn't go through the Holy Spirit or from Him at all. And then finally, the, 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 the real source of it is that it's demonic, it comes from Satan himself. 
Right? It's the same kind of hellishness that James has already speak, spoken of when he speaks of the tongue speaking that which it ought not speak. Uh, this, this demonic wisdom. And, and we can see the wisdom of Satan at the very beginning in Genesis in chapter 3. Read that when you have some time. But there we find the wisdom of the evil one as he comes to Eve. Now, the wisdom of God in the midst of the garden was trust me. I've provided everything for you that you need. But bear in mind always that I'm the judge. That I know what is good and evil. So you're not to partake of that tree. You're not to enter into that of of defining, knowing, defining, determining, judging what is good and evil. That God says is left to me. You eat of that tree, you die. You go there, you start defining what's good and evil. You start saying this is wise and unwise, this is right and this is wrong. Then, 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 then you die because you need to depend upon me for that. I'm God. I'm the judge. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. I know what's good and I know what's evil. I'll communicate that to you. And you're to live by my wisdom, my definition of what is good and evil. And, but if you, if you go it your own way, then, then you, you leave life. You die. And so the evil one comes to Eve. And what does he say? He says, that's not true. You won't die. In fact, you'll be like God. You'll be the judge of what is good and what is evil. So go your own way. Do what you think you ought. That's wisdom Dismiss what God has said and live out your own way. And so she did. And so did Adam. And so do all of us after them. That's the wisdom that's demonic. We saw that same kind of wisdom being suggested to Jesus. Remember when he was in the wilderness, he had been baptized and the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so the devil came and tempted the second Adam as he came to tempt the first Adam. And and, and he essentially said to Jesus, I know what the father has told you to do. But bow to me and you'll have everything. Same thing he said to Eve, essentially. (laughs) Fortunately for us, Jesus didn't buy it. Jesus went and obeyed his father, did what Adam should have done, but didn't. But Jesus did on our behalf. That's another sermon. But you understand this wisdom that's earthly, that's unspiritual, that's demonic. That wisdom always says, abandon God, dismiss him, and go your own way. See, define your own life. Direct your own life. Delight in your own definition and direction of this life, which is exactly the opposite of God's wisdom, which is, I define you because I made you. I know what's best for you. I direct your life because I made you and I know the best end and the best means for you. And trust me, if you follow after me, I will be your delight all the days of your life. That's the wisdom of God. But this wisdom that uh, is from below. And, and notice, notice the nature of it. It, it. it results in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition 
in the heart. Naturally, it isn't it? Remember, we talked about what comes out of our mouth begins in the heart. And so it's really the heart that's the issue always. And so James comes back to that and he says, what, what happens with this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom is that it kills the heart, works in the heart in such a way that it results in this bitter jealousy. Now, jealousy in and of itself, just as a word, neutrally, generically, means it's a strong feeling. But when we add bitter jealousy, we we get what he's talking about. This is the kind of self-centeredness that you and I both know exists in us. And we've experienced it. We don't like it. We know it's there. It's this self-preservation, this self-looking out for to such a degree that, that we know we can be concerned about frivolous things in our own lives as other people are suffering greatly. Right? We just know that. And we know then that it can cause us to be bitter in life because we don't have what we think we ought to have, what we think we deserve to have, what other people have, whether it's position or whether it's possessions, whether it's pleasures, however that is in the context of our lives. And we get that. That's this wisdom. Once we start going our own way and we're God in our own lives, then it's our kingdom that we have to protect all the time. And so that's what we do. And then we we have then this selfish ambition. Again, ambition in and of its own right is is not a bad thing. Uh, The the definition of, 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 of ambition from the dictionary is this, a strong desire to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. That's a good thing. Adam should have had ambition in the garden before he sinned. And his ambition should have been to take care of this garden with all my strength and all my might. And to be a husband to Eve and, and have children and, and, and build a city on this earth that, that's glorifying to God. That should have been his ambition. But selfish ambition turns all of that on its head. Selfish ambition means then that I live to, how do we have it? Achieve something for me. And I use all of my energies to that end. And often then that can exclude others and hurt others. But but, but as long as it's building my kingdom, you see. And and notice what happens in the midst of this. It results, the scripture says, uh, in uh, disorder and every vile practice. It brings out of me the worst And it destroys real relationships. Real relationships in families. Real relationships of friendships. Real relationships in the context of church life. It just does. We've been blessed not to see it in the context of church life. Generally. But it can happen, you see. This sense of demonic wisdom. But then notice the second wisdom, the wisdom that's from above, that is from God. And and notice the characteristics. I haven't time to go through each one of these in any great detail, but I think you'll get the gist of it all. The first one is is pure. You see, it's unmixed. It's this devotion to God. You see, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then you see we, we move out and we say, oh yes, of course, I need to trust him 
follow him, listen to him, have him define my life and direct my life. I need to delight in him. And then it's peaceable. It brings, brings peace. It's gentle. It's open to reason. See, it's nothing to protect, so it's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. I've received mercy. I know that. And thus now I, I can give mercy. It's impartial and sincere. It's genuine. There's no hypocrisy here. What you see is, is what you get, really. That's this sense of it. I don't need to pretend to be somebody else. I can be honest about who I am. That's, that's these, this good conduct, these works done in the meekness of wisdom. And when Jesus preached, we call the Beatitudes. There was a, a real logic to it. And we can see perhaps even the logic revolving around this meekness. The first two Beatitudes lead to one who is meek. The rest of them flow from the meek person. See, the meek person is one who is really poor in spirit. Who understands before God they're sinners. They have nothing to offer him. They're spiritually bankrupt. They need him utterly. Right? The second is they mourn over this condition. That person is the meek person. That person who understands who he is before God and who's humbled because of his creatureliness and because of his own sin. But then what flows from the meek person? What flows from the person who, who, who realizes he's spiritually bankrupt and, 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 and is sinful and needs God? Well, well, perhaps the first thing that flows from it is that he hungers and thirsts after righteousness. He says, there's something I don't have. And there's something that would make everything great is, 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 is righteousness. And so he hungers and thirsts after it. And we know first we go to Christ to receive his righteousness. And then a great desire to live that righteousness out in the context of life. It's wisdom, you see. And then the, the meek person is merciful. Well, of course he is. Of course she is. Why? Because the, this person's received mercy. I realize that I'm lost. I need the mercy of God. <laughs> Without it, I'm, I'm completely lost. And now I've received mercy. How can I withhold mercy from anyone when I've received mercy? I know that. How can I look at you and say, forget you, buddy, when, when God didn't say that to me? I've received mercy, you see. And then this, this meek person is the one who desires to be pure in heart, that he could see God. He realizes that his sin keeps him from, from really knowing God and says, I need purity. So you pursue purity, as the scripture says, is the very wisdom of God. And then the, 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 the person who's meek is a peacemaker. How could he not be a peacemaker since God has made peace with him through Jesus? And now we see the need to, to be the body of Christ, to be one with him. So we Pursue peace. And then the person who rejoices even in persecution. Why? Because it's for the sake of Christ. So that's the person who's meek. The person who says, I don't deserve anything. If it's persecution that I receive, then praise be to God. That's the person whose good life is revealed by good deeds done in the meekness of wisdom. So how do we get it? How do we become wise? Turn quickly to Proverbs in chapter 3. Proverbs in chapter 3, please. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And do not lean on your own understanding. Alright? It's the first thing. That's meekness. Trust in Him with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So trust in Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of real wisdom. Then verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you go through life, well, you could do this, it'd be fine. Go through life saying, God, I know you're here, I know you're here, I know you're here. You're acknowledging him. No, it really means deeper than that. In everything that you do, acknowledge his wisdom. Acknowledge his ways. Acknowledge that you would have no other God before him. Acknowledge that you're not to make any images of him. That you're to worship him as he really is. Acknowledge that you're to honor and glorify his name. Acknowledge that you're to rest in him. Acknowledge that you're to love your neighbor as yourself and all that that implies. Acknowledge him. Say, God, I know that you've laid out a path for me. And your path are your commandments. Your path is your way that I'm to live. And so acknowledge him. So, so know these things just as I read through Deuteronomy chapter 4. As Moses tells the people there. As Jesus tells us even today to follow him and to obey him. Uh, we're, we're to know his word, you see. And to follow it, to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Verse 7 then. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That is to say, humble yourself before him and go to him. And then verse 9, amazingly. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That was a promise, a proverbial phrase to ancient Israel, to us. We get this sense as we're to honor him with everything that we have and to give him thanks for and to be content with what he's given to us, all of our wealth. And we're to be generous with our lives. We're to be generous. That's wise, you see. It's wise to give yourself away. It's wise not to keep yourself to yourself. You see, that's real life. When Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, or God did in the Old Testament, Jesus replied it, or to tell Christians to love one another as I've loved you. That's not a burden, that's life. That's real life. Karen and I remind ourselves all the time when we're caring for people, and it might be difficult or whatever, inconvenient, but to say, no, 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 this is life. This is it, isn't it? Loving, this is really life. Tending to one another. That's, that's, that, that's real life. That's not the inconvenience. That's real life. To really live it, to give yourself. And then finally, uh, verse 5, he says, My son, do not despise... I'm sorry, this is... I don't know what verse it is I wrote over there. It must be verse 11. Uh, My son, uh, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as 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 a father, the son in whom he delights. You see, what did James say? Count it all joy when you experience various trials. Why? Because these trials have a purpose from God. To mature you. And so we trust him. We trust him. We follow his wisdom. Even in the difficult times of life. And I know by definition it's harder to follow his wisdom in the difficult times of life than perhaps other times. We know that. That's why we have to be told it over and over again. It's not intuitive. It's counter. But it's intuitive to the wise person. 
Oh yes. Oh yes. Follow him. Even now. Follow him. Even in the suffering. And then as James says. Pray. Pray that God will make you wise. But, but, but pray in faith. What does that mean? I'd be double minded. What does that mean? It means when you pray in faith. You're trusting that God is wise. And that his wisdom is real wisdom. And that you're going to follow his wisdom. When he gives it. You're not just sort of checking a source and saying, well, I wonder what God thinks about this. This is what I think. I wonder what God thinks. This is what my friend thinks. This is what so-and-so thinks. I'm going to put them all in a, in a basket and pick one. It isn't that. When God says, if you want my wisdom, ask me. But really, ask me. And when you ask me, what you're saying is, you have the wisdom no one else does. I will follow your wisdom. That's the meek person. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us, for me, for all of us, that you would make us wise. And I know even as I pray that, I know it means that we must study the scripture to know you. And that we must then apply that which we come to know from the scripture. In every aspect, in every difficulty, in every circumstance of life. And I confess that I fail at that. And so, with my brothers and sisters, I pray that you would help us to apply your wisdom, to live by it, that our lives, our lives, would reveal the wisdom of God. This I pray for your sake and the sake of your church. Father, we have those among us who are facing a variety of difficulties in life and so we pray for them that they would have your wisdom, that you would guide them, that you would direct them in the midst of that. Um, Father, we thank you for good surgery outcome for Mark Brown and his knee, and so we pray your healing there. Continue to work in Barbara Mishler's life as she recovers from her stroke, and bless uh, Marjorie Miller as she continues her fight against cancer. For Rebecca Markley as she undergoes surgery this week, we pray that you would be with her as well. Continue to heal Rick and his shoulder. And Father, for others who, who are in difficulties, whether it be relational problems, whether they be financial ones, whether they be internal ones, as we struggle just with life itself, uh, Father, that you would bless and heal and, and make yourself known to us. There's a church, Father, I pray that we would follow your wisdom so that people would come to us uh, so that they would learn how it is life is to be lived. That life that is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And thus we pray this in his name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction.